0: The Commons Good Podcast team is sitting down with the All-America City 2020 finalist to learn more about the work and the individuals helping to steward it forward. In this episode of the All-America City Podcast miniseries, we have the opportunity to connect with Mayor Dave Kitchell of Logansport, Indiana. Logansport sits at multiple crossroads the confluence of two rivers, the east-west railways of the Wabash, and the first north-south road in Indiana. As the railways have quieted across the rural landscape, they've transformed rails to trails where community members gather, sun or snow, wheels and walking, a treasure made even more valuable by a pandemic. Logan's ability to reimagine and adapt has confirmed one thing, A good solution is likely to solve more than one problem. Listen in and learn more about how renewable energies are growing community and business budgets and how expanding affordable housing is raising home values for all. Let's jump in.
1: Uh, Well, first of all, the uh, energy efficiency thing is uh, it it went in-house. We did it by example first in the city building because we uh, switched out all our street lighting to LEDs and that saved us the civil city saved about $134,000 a year by switching to LEDs. And that that was a, a huge savings to taxpayers. So we had money to to spend on some other things. And we did have to do the installation and our, our utility department did that for us. So that was part of their contribution to it, what we call payment in lieu of taxes that really didn't cost anybody anything. But uh, our city council uh, created some funding for, uh, the, the lights themselves, the fixtures, so they could install those, and that that freed up, as I said, one hundred and thirty thousand a year, uh, and that's a lot of capital to to do some things. So, what's happened is you've got a lot of neighborhoods now where the lighting wasn't very good before, but now you've got great street lighting. So it's a public safety issue; it's improved that. Uh, but the energy efficiency thing also is stretched into an older area of the city on the west side, where um, we've taken uh, an older area that was a brownfield and we've turned it into a solar field. Uh, it's in fact, it's being built right now. Uh, it's a little area actually will grow the city because we're going to annex a portion of the area right outside the city limits where this can be. But um, we worked with a private company called Innovatius, uh to uh, build um, the solar field and they'll have a 30 year lease to sell the power back to the city at less money that we can can purchase it right now. And uh, so that will that will lower our cost of electricity. The other part of this is it, it expands our property tax base because that's something that, because it's a private company, uh, that will generate some tax revenue for what was a brownfield before that the city of Logan Sport owns and has been cleaning up. And we're in the process of turning that into what we call the solar subdivision, which is a subdivision that will have nine homes in it, and uh, the the soil will be reclaimed and and decontaminated. Uh, But, you know, we're going to put houses back in a neighborhood that was once an industrial area uh, butting up against a residential neighborhood. So this will all be residential now and uh, with clean fuel coming down the pike. So the big part of what we did was we uh, had a a power plant. It was a coal-fired generating plant. And when I came into office in 2016, we had until – Uh, April to shut it down and eventually decommission the plant. Uh, So we've done that, but the question became, how are we going to generate enough power for us? Because we were purchasing uh, before about 67% of our power and generating uh, 33% of our power. So our uh, purchase power agreement was up with Duke Energy, and we bid that out uh, through a vendor uh, and looked at all different options that were out there. And the the winning option was with NextEra, out of Florida, which is essentially Florida Power and Light, and what they agreed to do was to provide us with uh, wind and solar power and some other traditional forms of power. But when we got done with what they were offering us at the rate they were offering us, we were able to reduce our power rates across the board by twelve and a half percent. And since then, um, because of other efficiencies of scale, uh, we were able to renegotiate that contract. Uh, so as of the first of the year, that went down another one percent. So about 13% lower than what they were paying four years ago for power. Um, now what what happened here is that we came in because of the situation and trying to keep this old power plant together, found the utilities were seven million dollars in the red. Uh, and with a which is a captive market for utilities, uh, there's no way you should lose money with that. But we were losing seven million dollars. And so we we got things straightened out where we could not only lower the electric rates, but uh, we also uh, worked out rates for the water, wastewater, and stormwater, so that they could be more in line with the regular rate structure, and they'd be self-sustaining and self-supporting. And so we've done that. Um, utility-wise, we're in good shape now for uh, probably the next 12-15 years, and we expect to add more solar power. Uh, to the system because uh, it's self-contained within our grid, first of all. So in case the grid goes down beyond Logan Sport, uh, there'll be power either with batteries or solar within our grid to back that up. And that's that's a good thing because it ensures that your companies will continue to operate and uh, people that don't have generators will be able to continue in business or, or operate. Uh, so that's the energy efficiency thing. Now, the city building... You know, we looked at an energy efficiency program, energy savings program, which can be bonded. But we found out is we could do much of that on our own uh, just by budgeting uh, within our regular uh, annual budgets uh, to do that. So you see things like insulation at the cemetery and at the golf course. Um, You see um, energy efficient light fixtures in the city building. I think there were three dozen installed in the city building and that cut the bill there uh, considerably. So. water saving devices any number of things like that so we're, we're doing a, a number of things we're looking right now at uh, even getting some of the cars that are non-emergency vehicles uh, converting those to electric cars uh, not just for the environment but for uh, use for our utilities that would create another customer for our utilities to have some of our electric vehicles and to uh, through that maybe create some electric vehicle charging stations throughout the city too so it's a pretty broad brush thing, but, uh, the air quality improves, uh, the cost of electricity goes down. Uh, the, you know, we're competitive with other uh, communities now to be able to, uh, do some of those things. It's, it's such a, a profound thing that, for instance, Tyson every month, uh, saves about $70,000 in utility costs, $70,000 a month. And that's, that's about enough to pay their entire nursing staff, uh, for that plan of, uh, 21, 2200 employees. Uh, so it's it's a significant savings for everybody, and it's like giving an economic development incentive without lifting a thumb to to do it because uh, it's just become a huge, huge thing. Well, first of all, housing is for most people it's the major investment in your life. It is your nest egg, and it's something you don't want to see go down in value. And, and what we found before we came into office, uh, the Realtors Association of Central Indiana, uh, but uh, they they did a study on the housing values throughout the state. And what they found was that, you know, our values were fairly depressed and uh, a number of reasons for that, but the, the market demand was weak. And uh, so we did some things to, you know, improve neighborhoods and, and clean up some things. But what we really wanted to do was get to the point where people were seeing their their housing values rise again, Their property values are going up. And part of that is, you know, the eyesore houses, the blighted properties, uh, abandoned properties, uh, trash in some properties, uh, in some cases estates where the uh, house was in probate or something. And we tried to to work with them and to clean up all those properties. And we did, and what we found is midway through 2016, uh, the curve started to trend up again. Uh, and it's been going up ever since, but now you know my housing values have gone up here for four years in a row and uh we're we're seeing that happen in part because uh we gave a a 50 sidewalk and curb improvement program, so if people want to install new curbs or sidewalks, we'll pay half and they pay the other half and that's a fairly good incentive that you don't see in a lot of cities uh but we had it out there and Uh, We were able to take some some areas that uh, had really bad sidewalks and people, you know, took advantage of that. Uh, The other thing was that we had some areas because we're in a valley where there were a lot of older, large trees that were ripping up the sidewalks with root systems. And we were able to get uh, four really large trees uh, out of the, the system that were kind of dangerous because if they fell down, they could hurt somebody or damage a house. Uh, And we were able to get uh, some down that that also helped the sidewalk situation uh, improve so people could get out and walk around and and be more mobile in the neighborhood. Uh, So we did that and that was part of it. Uh, Just we did uh, something that uh, I wish more communities would do, but we had uh, what we call dumpster days. And what we did is that every quarter uh, we found in our contract with our trash hauler that we had the option of having um, extra dumpsters out for whatever purpose. And it wasn't well defined. So what we did was we had dumpster day and we had um, three dumpsters put out for about three hours uh, in in different areas of the city uh, throughout the year, usually downtown. And we found those filled up within about an hour. Uh, And so they were even bringing in fresh dumpsters and still in three hours time, it wasn't enough. But by after, after about two years of this, of doing it, it had slowed down considerably because people had figured out what we were doing and how we we're trying to do it. So it was a way of saying, look, we don't want to fine you for this. Uh, if you can clean up your own property and get it done, this is the chance that you have. The only thing we ask is that it not be somebody from outside the city. We wanted people to be from the city limits, and we monitored that pretty closely. But um, that, that cleaned up a lot of the problems that we had out there. And we coordinated that through the Board of Public Works and Safety so that if they had received trash violation notices, uh, they knew they wouldn't be fined if they just took the trash to the dumpsters uh, on those designated days and, and got rid of those things. But uh, it's been a, an aggressive uh, thing there. Also, junk cars, abandoned vehicles uh, that were just parked in the street or people had left them around. Uh, we were aggressive with that, and we brought those down four years in a row. So the streets were more clear of that. And uh, we gave away uh, hundreds of free trees. Uh, we did it for Earth Day. Uh, the first uh, three years I was in office, we gave away saplings and seedlings uh, from the state nursery. Um, and we were able to get, uh, oh, we think about 4,000 new saplings and seedlings planted in the backyards and front yards. Uh, that along with a street uh, skate was a good thing. Uh, We worked with Habitat for Humanity to take a home that was, uh, when I showed up in 16, the house was completely open. Uh, There was no lock on the door, and we were able to donate that to Habitat for Humanity. And they turned it into a beautiful residence for a mother and her family of three. That was one thing we did. But uh, the other thing we did was the uh, Revere Homes Project, and uh, that's probably where we've got the, the most positive response, because uh, there were lots throughout the city that uh, the city had taken on over the years. For whatever reason, a condemned structure goes down, it goes into tax sale, nobody buys it. And so we inherit that property. Uh, and as I say, it's, there are properties in every community that fall between the cracks, and we had more than our share. So we took 30 of those properties uh, through our Redevelopment Commission, and uh, we were able to work with the state. Uh, to get a grant, and it took us three tries to do it. But we were able to get a grant for what we call the Revere Homes uh, Initiative. And the Revere Homes, um, there was a car manufactured here in the early 1900s called the Revere, named for Paul Revere, and uh, it was known as America's most incomparable car because it had the uh, Duesenberg engine in it from Detroit, and uh, it had outstanding carriage work done. But um, it went out of business in the Roaring Twenties when the Depression hit, Uh, yet its quality kind of still lives on, and we have one of them here in town. It's been completely restored. It's a beautiful, beautiful automobile. And so uh, the developer we worked with chose that as the name for uh, this housing project that we had, and with the grant money, we were able to take uh, our own resources and put in new sidewalks, uh, offer Wi-Fi access for everybody, uh, some of these homes were located in, in food deserts. Uh, these were 30 homes, by the way, that we built, and some of them were in food deserts. So we were able to get a public transportation arrangement for people to uh, get to a supermarket using public transit. Uh, and we created a scholarship fund for the people in these homes because uh, Indiana is uh, very behind times in terms of college attainment. You know, we wanted to get our college attainment rate up. So there's a uh, it was 150000 set aside as a permanent endowment uh, for a scholarship fund for the people from those uh, 30 homes. Uh, so we've taken them throughout the city. They are not just in one area of the city, they're throughout the city. On the north side, you can see three within about uh, a minute. Uh, if you drive through the north edge of the city, you can see another four uh, on the south side of the city in about the same amount of time. Uh, but they're in different areas because Uh, We wanted to do something that would raise the property values of properties around those. And it has worked out. I I think we're at a critical point um, in in terms of American history, in in terms of where we're viewing uh, community structure and and what that matters. Because we've become such a mobile society that a lot of folks are uh, taking leave of what it means to be part of a community at, at the small town level. And the the secret of of our sauce is that this is a pretty good place to live, Um, the opportunities that are there and the amenities that are there and the access to other things uh, in nearby cities that's there. Uh, And you don't have to have um, a four-star hotel uh, next door. You don't have to have a Fortune 500 company down the street. Uh, You can have a lot of different things and and have a quality of life that is, uh, to me, uh, the most important factor. And uh, it's, it's in a, you know, it's a critical mass thing that uh, we have more small towns like the Logan sports of the world. than we have uh, the New York's and the Nashville's and the Los Angeleses of the world. That's just the reality of things. And that's the part of American being an American is you take pride in small town America, you take pride in, in, uh, in offering the best life that you can possibly have for the people that are there. And um, one of the things that, Indiana has done that um other states have not uh is that we have community foundations in all 92 counties in Indiana some counties have more than one uh but it was funded by Eli Lilly the drug manufacturer and uh, Colonel Lilly was very much a uh believer in uh, investing in small town life whether it was churches or educational programs or arts facilities and i think that's a touchstone for Indiana communities to, to grow uh, with strategic investment plans for the next, uh, you know, 50 years. Um, we can provide that optimum quality of life, and we solidify and and uh, stabilize our communities in a way that uh, few can't. So uh, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm a, a buyer in of traditional things like this, and um, I'm not old-fashioned in some respects, but I believe in old-fashioned values in terms of, of small-town America, that there's a lot of good there. But, that can be built upon in uh, some of the great places in the world or small towns. So that's where I'm at.
0: The All-America City Voices are brought to you by the Commons Good podcast team at Community Initiatives and the Institute for People, Place, and Possibility. On the podcast, we talk stewardship and starting points for learning and acting together to secure intergenerational well-being and equity for all. We do this by making visible the practices and progress of community pace setters, sparking dialogue about what it will take to create legacies of dignity and inclusion, and by building the civic muscle needed to expand the vital conditions we all need every day to thrive. This new mini-series is developed in partnership with the National Civic League and the All-America City Awardee finalists. We believe people working together build better communities and invite you to share the podcast with your fellow changemakers.